Good evening, church family. We're happy to be here tonight. Welcome everyone who's here, our present, and those online. We welcome you and thank you for your your time. Tonight we continue in Philippians 4, uh, in verse 8. We started with whatever's true. Tonight we go on to whatever is honorable. These are things that we ought to meditate or think on. Let's go to God in prayer, please. A great God in heaven, thank you. Thank you so very much for this opportunity tonight to study your word. Your name is wonderful and great. We're thankful, Lord God, to be here assembled in your name, to learn more from your holy and divine word, to help us to become better stewards of your word and stewards of all that you've given to us, of our minds. Help us to be the people you would have us to be. Please guide us, guard us, lead us, and direct us. And bless us, Lord God, never to forget Jesus, your great son who died on that cruel cross of Calvary that we might live. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and give thee thanks for be thy will. Amen. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going tonight. Whatever is honorable. So your version may say noble. So nobility, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is noble, that which inspires some type of of reverence, dignified, respectable, whatever evokes uh, special respect. These are the things that we ought to be thinking on. So children of God must not think on the trivial things of life, that which is temporal, that which is mundane, that which is common. We, we are bigger thinkers than that because we have a heaven to think about and a heavenly Father to think about and the Holy Spirit to think about and Jesus to think about the heavenly things. What, when you think of honor or, or nobility, what is it that inspires you? Something that's worthy of, of awe, something that's worthy of adoration, uh, praise. We know obviously it's God in every way to think about Jesus in that. But I want you to think about this word honor and honorable and nobility throughout this lesson tonight. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to start. Well, when you think of the word honor, it almost always refers to character. Character. So when you read uh, this word in the Greek, you're going to find that it's four times that it's mentioned, and every time it's mentioned in regards to a person's character. So this is what Jesus told us not to be. Verse 15. Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce good, uh, excuse me, a good true tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. This is what's important. Your true character is something that cannot be escaped. No one can escape their true character. We may hide it for a season, but inevitably it's going to come out. People are going to know who or what your true character truly is. God knows it, right? Verse 21 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Our character characterizes us. Right? Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore that your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But if your whole, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness, and therefore the light that is in you is darkness. How great is the darkness. Your character. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, looking at verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be clean to him or unclean to him, it is unclean. The opposite of that is to him who thinks what is clean. What is clean in Christ Jesus This is the reason I wanted to bring these verses out. And I want to go to Proverbs 26. The reason I wanted to bring these verses out is because it is very hard to think of honorable things when there is so much deceitfulness all over the world. All around us you find deceit and deceit and deceit. And deceitful people hide their true character. And that word honor, if you will, that word nobility, is a word that God wants us to seek after and to search for. And it's hard to find honorable men and women in our world today. Deceitful people hide their true character, and it is shocking when the truth reveals itself, right? When it comes out and you go, whoa, I didn't, I didn't see that was on that person's heart. Proverbs 26, verse 24. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with gout, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. Imagine that. You've been there, haven't you? Where there's this situation and there, there's deceit and you, you thought things would be one way because of honor, but then you find this person has been deceitful or hiding the truth. And again, listen to what it says. Verse 24, he who hates disguises it with his lips. And so they speak kind words and they're gentle and they're all these things that truly in their hearts they are not. But he lays up deceit in his heart. And when he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with gall, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. And so there's this amazing revelation. How in the world are we going to think about nobility and honor when that word honor and nobility is not a respected word today? I mean, it's difficult to find nobility or honor 
in an individual today. First John chapter 2. As God's people though, that's where we are supposed to stand out as the unique people in the world. The, what does Jesus say? The light in the midst of darkness. The peace in the midst of chaos. That's what we're supposed to be. The salt in an unsalty world. So that when people see us, they'll think that word honor still exists because God's people are honorable people. First John chapter 2 verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. How many times have we found people who say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I love God, and God is wonderful, etc., etc., and then you turn your back and start walking away, and they're cursing up a storm. And you go, wait a minute, that's not, that's not how Christians talk. Where is the honor in that? Chapter 4 and verse 20. There the Bible says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. God is making it so plain for us that we have to ensure that our actions reveal that which is on the heart. Instead of being deceitful and our actions revealing something different, if you will, or contradictory to what is actually on the heart. That word nobility and that word honor is so critical and so important in the Christian life. And I want you to start really thinking about the word honor. Not that you maybe, maybe you haven't, um, you know, forgotten the word or maybe, maybe you, you are able to find honor and nobility. In this lesson, we're going to find honor and nobility so that we can fulfill Philippians uh, 4 and verse 8 thinking about whatever is, which is God, and then that which is true, we did last week, and now whatever is honorable, whatever is of nobility, it's here, brethren. It does exist. But before we look at that, First Kings chapter 13, again, to reveal what is on the heart, to see so much deceit in our world today makes it very difficult, especially when it's amongst God's people. It makes it very difficult to meditate on these positive things that God asks us to meditate on. To be able to meditate and think about, well, what really is something that's dignified, something that is respectable, something that evokes a special interest or special respect in my life. What is that? 1 Kings 13, verse 16. This this account is, um, give me the context, the old prophet lies to the younger prophet, right? In verse um, 16, and he said, I cannot return with you, nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For I, a command came to me by the word of the Lord, you shall eat no bread, nor drink water, there shall not do not return by going the way which you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied 
to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And the rest of that account goes that the young man was killed later because of his disobedience. I heard on the, uh, it was, I think it was a, uh, it was a, it was on the television and it was a court, court type case and, and there was a, a, a preacher and he was a, he was a liar. And I heard the judge say, but you're, you're supposed to be a man of the cloth, right? I guess that's one of those new sayings. And there was no honor in, in him. He was, you know, a preacher, it doesn't really mean he's a human, but still, there was no honor in that. There was no honor whatsoever. You listen to that and you look at that and you wonder why people can drive by, uh, let's just say the Church of Christ building and, and not look over and say, that is a place of honor. Do you remember the times when people would, uh, you know, visit the church and they, maybe they had a, a you know, some, a sailor's mouth and, and they, but as soon as they walked into the building, they would say, okay, now I'm in the place of God. There was this idea of this building is holy. This building is full of honor. And, and I know the building is just a building, but that sure kind of felt good. You know, the people would stop their sinful activity to come as they would think in the presence of God's, of God himself, in the presence of God's people. What an honor it is that you live your life in such a way that when people stand in front of you and they know who you are, that they're very careful with how they speak. They're very careful with what they say because of your lifestyle, because of who you are. A person, a child of God, a person of honor. So I want you to think for just a moment about... Well, this this one idea with, with, I guess, a twofold connotation. One, I want you to think about heroes of faith. Now, we know Hebrews 11, and we're going to look at Hebrews 11. But I want you to think maybe on a smaller scale, but, but, but large in your life. Who are the heroes of faith in your life, the people that are extremely important? Maybe there are events that are very important. These are, if you will, the pivotal points in your life that brought you to Christ. Maybe that moment of, of honor, that event, or maybe, maybe it was that important moment in your life, something you can look back on and remember with clarity, and it brings, if, if you will, or evokes special, a special reminder of something that is so full of respect and so full of honor that you've never forgotten it. God says, those are the kinds of things that your mind's supposed to dwell on. To separate out those negatives, if you will, the all the deceit that we see in the world and all the deceitful people and the things that have happened in the negative. To separate out the positive from the negative. To hold on to what's honorable and then to allow in your mind the eraser to work on that which is not dignified, that which carries no honor. God says, let your mind dwell on these things. Which hero in your life inspires special respect for you? Whether it be the, maybe the person that, that brought you to Christ or the person that kind of helped you really to, to shape 
and to become molded into the person that you are today or the person that that keeps you going and, and holds you up with Christ, with the hand of God to deliver to you in your life in this, in a physical way, um, to bring you forward positively, continuously throughout your day. What did they do? Or what did they say that brought this moment in your life to where you could say, I have tremendous respect for that individual or for that event? That was an event of honor for me. How in, how and when did they do it or say it in your life? What is that, what is that moment? Who is that person. Not that we're saying, oh, we're going to elevate this person above Christ. We're going to do what the Bible says and give honor to whom honor is due. Because that's what the Bible does, right? The Bible, amazingly, right? God gives honor to certain individuals in the scriptures. So we're going to give honor to whom honor is due. So you have someone physically that you can, you can, uh, maybe you could touch or a picture you could look at or whatever it is that evokes that special memory in your life that is a positive thought. Who is that person? What is that event, if you will? What did they do? Or what did they say? How did they do that? Or or, or how did they say it? What does this event mean to you? And why does it mean so much to you? What ideas come to your mind in particular in regards to your faith? A lot to think about, right? See, when someone says, I'm looking for honor, again, there's so much deceit in the world today that we've almost, you know, tricked ourselves, or should I say Satan has, into believing that honor is no longer in existence. That, that you know, the, the old saying, common sense died. There's no more common sense. Well, of course, there is. It's a gift from God. And, of course, there is honor. What is honorable in your life? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if, if you could say that my spouse is honorable in my life? I can say it. My spouse is honorable in my life. My children are honorable, dignified in my life. I can think about those events and that, their lifestyle and, and the relationships that we have. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say the church is honorable in my life? It's, it's that special place that I cannot live without, that, that special people that are so honorable that without them, my day is not complete. Who, what, and where? I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Church, this is the, the goal that we all ought to strive after to ensure that our spouses, our children can say, that we are people of honor to them. Not because they're being kind, but because they're being honest. And that we as parents can say that about our children, not because we're being kind, but because we're being honest. And then likewise, the church as a whole. Verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11. All these died in faith without receiving the promises But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that 
They are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What an amazing group of passages of Scripture where it rounds itself off with these people who lived with their minds focused on heaven and they lived their lives in such a way to where God himself says, I am not ashamed to be called their God. Wow. That's that's what we have to strive after as a people. People whom God would say, I am not ashamed to be called your God. The heroes of faith. Now we're going to look in Scripture. And we'll look at the heroes of faith. And we'll ask ourselves questions about these heroes of faith. In uh, chapter 1 of Hebrews 11, we're going to stay in Hebrews 11. Um, I'm sure we'll run out of time before we get out of this, um, I assume. Verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men of old gained approval. Faith. So an honorable moment in your life of faith. Do you remember the last time that you prayed to God in faith, in simple, trusting faith? And God, you can say, without a shadow of a doubt, answered your prayer. Can you remember that moment? And then you say, wow, thank you, Lord. Now, that builds this building block of foundation in your faith. God shows you time and time and time again that he's always there for you. He's been there constantly and consistently. What wonderful honor. What what amazing blessings that we have. Can you remember the time that you prayed and you thought to yourself that God has not answered my prayer? Well, to that, brethren, I'd say maybe the answer simply was no. Another building block of faith. We have to hear no sometimes. We can't always have what we want to have. Faith is this this substance, if you will. It is the assurance of the things, if you will, that you hope for. And it becomes this conviction of things not seen based on the evidence of your past life, of God answering your prayers, of God being there for you in every moment, in every second, in every hour of your life. You don't always recognize it. I don't always recognize it. But by faith, we believe it. And our faith has to grow to where we recognize the fact that God is truly always there. How do we know that? Because the Bible says, Jesus says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now, either God is a liar, or God never tells a lie. We know last week, we learned God, it's impossible for God to lie. So if God has never left us, who left? It wasn't God, right? It was me. 
Who moved? God didn't move. I moved. God is still where I left him. He said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And so our faith is built upon faith. We grow in our faith based on the, based on the evidence of things that have not been seen, but finally are revealed to us in our lives. And now we have this conviction because of what has happened in our past life. These men and women of faith in the book of Hebrews, they weren't seeking heaven or earthly things. They had their minds focused on the heavenly city, on the new place. They had their minds set on that which was important and that which is valuable and that which is noble and that which is honorable. They had their minds fixed on heaven. So let's think about these men of faith and these women of faith. Um, verse 4, Abel is the first one. Now, fa- by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So Abel did not give in to the peer pressures of his brother, right? Um, his, his brother offered a, a sacrifice that was not authorized, and Abel authori- uh, offered to God an authorized sacrifice, the commandment according to the very commandment of God. What was noble about that? What is noble about when you look around and you see people not doing the right thing? Have you ever looked into the world and said, you know, boy, it looks like they're having so much fun. I wish I could join them in something that isn't isn't right. But it looks like fun. That's not honorable. Abel, Abel had no problem doing what God wanted him to do. He did it in faith. Even though there's more to the story, there's more to this account of Cain and Abel that we aren't told, but there's enough of the account that's told to us that tells us that Abel had some kind of an issue because he had to do this by faith. And it was his faith that made him a hero of faith next to Cain. There's something more to this account that we don't know about, that we're told about when we do a a study of of the, the things about Cain. But Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. What made it better? Because here's what Abel did. Abel did what God said like God said it. Do we live our lives that way? Do we think about the scriptures in that way? We're going to believe what God said the way God said it. We're going to do what God says the way God said it, regardless of what everyone else is doing all around us. Honor. When you see Abel, is there something in the life of Abel that evokes special respect to where you say, wow, yeah, he was a man of faith. He was a man of honor. But more than Abel, in my mind, I always go back to Enoch. I think about Enoch uh, in verse uh, 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. 
So there's some things that Enoch tells me. When I think about Enoch, the sermon that Enoch presents to me is this. It doesn't matter how ruthless, reckless, or wicked the world around you is. God has given you the power and the strength to remain faithful and true to him always. That's what Enoch tells me. When I go back and look at Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, remember in Genesis chapter 6, the world was so horrible that God destroyed the whole world. So I look back at Enoch and I say, Enoch, tell me something about your life, about what you saw. All those years you lived on the earth and, and people lived wickedly and yet, yet you held on to God. What was it about your faith? What was it about God that made you hold on to Him? What, what was it about God that made you walk away from your family if you needed to, to stay true and faithful to God? What was it in your life or in your mind or in your heart, Enoch? Enoch evoked special, um, if you will, importance or respect in my life. I think about that. And I go, okay, something else I've learned from Enoch, and that is this. One plus God is all that you ever need. We enjoy the benefits of others, but it doesn't matter where you are, if you're in the lion's den or wherever you are in your life, one plus God, me, you plus God, that's it. As long as you have God, you have everything. To remember that, to hold that in honor, to hold that as something that's critical and important in our lives. And then the next one, Noah. Noah, interestingly about Noah, is it never rained. Right? It had never rained on the face of the earth. And you can imagine God telling you to do something that really doesn't make sense. To build an ark in the middle, I'm going to just assume, in the middle of a desert. <laughs> or, you know, an open field. A place large enough to hold a football field. And God says, build an ark and do it this way and no other way. And I'm going to send a flood. But it had never rained. So God's going to send rain, a new idea, a new concept. And yet, Noah did what God said. The way God said it. And you know what happened to Noah? You can imagine the ridicule that he had, you know, he'd undergone. You know, why are you building, you know, why are you building a boat in the middle of a field? How are you going to get the boat to the water? And Noah maybe said to them, no, no, child, I'm not taking the boat to the water. God's bringing the water the boat. And for what, 120 years, he constructed that ark and waited on the promise of God. That's honorable, isn't it? I mean, think about waiting for that long. Do you have the patience to wait for however long it is that we are living on the face of this earth to just, to just wait and wait? I mean, we pray and, you know, in about a week, we're like, Lord, I don't think you're hearing me. <laughs> you know, uh, 120 years? How much patience do you have? 
to wait on God to do His work in your life, to bless you and to keep you. And then there's Abraham. In verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. I'm reminded of this uh, episode on um, the Smurfs when I was a kid growing up. <laughs> and I can remember they were, go- they were traveling, and I don't remember where. And the, and the Smurfs kept asking Papa Smurf, are we there yet? <laughs> are we there yet? Are we there yet? Through the whole journey. It was really funny to me. I remembered it to this, to this day. But think about how impatient I can be in my life. But Abraham didn't know where he was going. And never knew when he would arrive. He didn't know when he was 10 miles out. He didn't know when he was 100 miles out. He knew nothing. He just went. Because God told him to go. Can you imagine trying to convince Sarah? But no, Sarah had faith. And Sarah too said, Noah, wherever God tells us to go, let's go. And they got out themselves. They got themselves together in Lot. And they began their journey with all their livestock. Not knowing where they were going to go. Can you imagine that walking out of your house and God says, just get in your car and just just go? I mean, we immediately start thinking, okay, so do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go north, south, east, west? Where do I go? And God says, just go. I mean, how, how immediately frustrating it might be. But what a what an amazing man of faith and honor. To be willing to leave everything that he's known, what he, what he considered comfortable and enjoyable with family, and just go because God told him to. Honor. And Sarah, Sarah at that time, in verse 11, by faith even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered it him faithful who had promised. And we focus a lot, really, you know, oh, Sarah laughed. Well, Abraham laughed too. But then she mustered up the faith to know and to believe that God will bless this woman, this old woman, to conceive a child beyond her childbearing years. She had this faith in God that if you just keep trusting, keep on living, God will bless you, take care of you. And what we don't often realize is, it's not that God will bless us. It's that we'll finally realize that God has been blessing us every day of our lives. Blessing us and watching over us and comforting us and caring for us and strengthening us. Giving us. He gave us. And he's just, I mean, he's just, God is... God is everything. And you can look at these, the lives of these, these folks in Hebrews and say, you know, what did they know? What did they know that, that maybe I don't know? Well, I know everything there is that, or should I say, I have in front of me everything that there is to know because God revealed it in His Word. But what did they know? What was in their heart that maybe isn't in my heart. 
what do I have to do to be able to find not the same faith as they had, but to find the faith that God has granted me to realize it? Honor. To be a man, to be a woman of honor. Abraham. And then Abraham would go through one of the most amazing tests that a human being, a father, a mother could ever go through. Maybe not in our world today, unfortunately, it's really sad, but to offer up your child, to offer up your son. Not really understanding why God would make this request. Not really understanding what this request is really all about. Like, like the book of Job, and Job just couldn't figure out how all of a sudden everything, everything was gone. Just sometimes in life we we look for answers and the answers they just aren't there. But we have to be like Job and the heroes of faith and walk with Jesus, trusting in God, knowing that it is God who is with us in this situation, and though we don't understand it now, truly, truly one day we will understand it better. Later, but we trust God and live honorable lives that bring glory to his name. Look over, if you will, in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Imagine that for a moment. Because God told him to. You have to love the conversation in Genesis 22 where Abraham said to the, to the, to the, the men who were with him, you all stay here and I and the lad are going to go up to the mountain, worship God, and we will return. See, he didn't know how Isaac was going to come back. But he knew he was going to come back. Can you imagine the walk as Isaac asked his father, Father, here's the wood, here's the fire, but where's the lamb? And they get to the top of the mountain, and the faith, the honor in this is Isaac, Abraham, we'll get back to Abraham, but Isaac, when he realizes, I'm the sacrifice. The Bible doesn't say that he ran away. You know, you know he's faster than his daddy. <laughs> he didn't run back down the mountain. He didn't fight his father. He just, I assume, said, if this is what God's command is, then this is what God's command is. And, and Abraham laid his father down, uh, his son down, and he, and he tied him. And, and can you imagine that Isaac, maybe he looked the other way and closed his eyes. What honor. I mean, how many of us could say that we would just lay there and say, okay, okay, Papa. <laughs> Do I have that kind of faith? This is honor. This chapter is a chapter of honorable people, men and women, in the Word of God. 
And Abraham, I assume, on his way up, he had to get real. See, you know, you fake it as long as you can. But on the way up with that knife, somewhere he had to get real. Because he had to really truly believe what he said. I and the lad will return. And he had to truly believe God that if he kills his son, that God will raise him back. God will raise him up. And I bet he was thinking all along, Sarah's going to kill me. (laughs) But can you imagine, right? (laughs) Somewhere it had to get real. And brethren, that's what has to be in our lives. At some point, Abraham was real. And he's ready to kill his son. And it wasn't until then that the angel stopped him and said, Abraham, Abraham, now I know. Is my faith real? I mean, is it, is it, you know, is it something where I'm just kind of going through the motion and I, and I, I'm just kind of here, but I'm, I'm really not with God. You know, kind of with God, but, you know, I mean, if you ask me if I'm with God, I'll say yes to you. I can trick you. I can fool you easily. But I can't fool God. I can't fool myself. Is my faith real? Is it something that someone would say, that man is a man of faith and he lives his life in an honorable way? Is it real? So much so to where when God asks me and asks you to do the things that maybe aren't so appealing, when God asks me or asks you to do the things that aren't always easy, even the things that are difficult, is my faith real? So much so to the point to where I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to. The way that God wants me to. Not worrying about taking the boat to the water. I know God's going to bring the water to me. Is my faith real? Honor today. The word honor. That which inspires reverence or awe. Dignified. Respectable. Whatever evokes special Respect, honor. Whatever is honorable, let your mind dwell on these things. We'll come back and we'll pick up the rest of this lesson, uh, Lord willing, next week. Thank you for your time tonight. We appreciate it. Uh, In a moment, Brother James is going to bring a devo to us and encourage you to come to Christ if you have not. God bless you. We thank you very much for your time.